concerned with hoorah. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's Bad With Money with Gabby Dunn. Oh, hi there. I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money. When I first started this show, I had no financial background and no financial education or future. I did not know what my credit cards were. I did not know what my student loans were. And I had no concept of how taxes worked. I had a baseline of zero. Many of you were there for it. You witnessed it firsthand. So the idea of setting a goal, any goal for my money, was laughable. I wouldn't have even known where to start. But eventually, I did start. I started on this show. You guys heard it. And I started crying. Yes, I did actually open my bank account and spend three to four days alternating between writing down what I was spending on, building out some idea of what my input and output was financially, and sobbing on the floor. This entire process has been painful. It's still painful. And I've been doing this show for nine seasons. This is the middle of the ninth season, and I still cry about money sometimes. One piece of advice that I hear a lot from my friends who are successful, not just financially, but in their careers or family lives or personal lives, is that they had to narrow down their goals. What are your goals? One of my goals for the year 2021 was to purchase a house. I said it out loud on my other podcast, Just Between Us, in an episode where we talked about goals, and I was nervous to do so. There have, of course, been times in my life where I've set goals that I didn't achieve, where I felt like I was jinxing myself or being too greedy by admitting my goals, that if I didn't meet a goal, it means I'd failed, and doubly so if I'd given myself a timeline and hadn't met it. I used to be so caught up with age. If I hadn't done this by 30, I was a loser. If I hadn't done this by 25, I would never do it, etc., etc. This year, my partner and I did buy a little cabin in the woods. We did it with our combined savings and with a mortgage. And now we have a cabin. The me who started this podcast in 2016 would be shocked, shocked. Like I really do not think I could get that Gabby to believe that this was happening. There were three or four other goals on my 2021 list. I did not complete those. They will have to be pushed into 2022 goals, I guess. My first guest this week is Paula Pant, the host of the Afford Anything podcast, which if you're at all versed in the money podcast world, you know is one of the biggies. Paula and I were on a panel together at the Podcast Movement Conference in Nashville this year, and I've been a fan of her show for a while. Paula is excellent at explaining how you can break down what is important to you, what goals you should set for yourself, and how to do it. Our second guest is my friend and incredible writer, producer, actress, author, all-around Jane of all trades, Francesca Ramsey. I wanted to have Francesca on the show because she's the most organized person I know. She makes highlighted monthly journals with all her goals. She has index cards and whiteboards and mantras and runs her life like a machine. When she shows off her productivity journals on Instagram, I feel like I'm looking at the work of someone from the future, like math equations levels of brilliance. One, Fran is very talented, but two, she is on top of it. But first, Paula Pant. 
My name is Paula Pant. I am the host of the Afford Anything podcast. It's a podcast that says that you can afford anything, but not everything. So what does it mean to afford anything? So the idea of afford anything came about when I I started – like a a couple of years after I graduated from college, I began traveling. And I quit my job and flew to Egypt on a one-way ticket. And then I was just living out of a backpack and traveling across the Middle East and Southeast Asia. And so many of my friends were like, oh, I would love to do that, but I can't afford it. And these same friends, many of them – I knew what they were making and they had been making more than me, but they were spending their money. This is like when we were in our mid twenties, they were going to bars and buying like $12 drinks. Mm -hmm. You know, they were buying clothes new instead of at thrift stores. Mm -hmm. They were doing that sort of thing. And so the idea of afford anything was my idea of trying to communicate an empowering message of if there's something that you really want to do, you can do that thing. You just can't do all of it. So Mm. if you really want to do that thing, it means that you might have to give up some other stuff. And sometimes the stuff that you have to give up is pretty dramatic. Like I lived with roommates until I was 31, Mm -hmm. which, you know, I was happy to do, but not because I knew what trade-offs I was getting in return. Mm -hmm. And those trade-offs, like things like travel were way more important to me. But, you know, if that's not what you want, like you, you can afford anything, but you can't afford to live without roommates and buy new clothes and get $12 drinks and have a nice car and travel and, and, and. Life is not an endless series of ands. So how does a person go about figuring out what they're spending on that they don't value and what they actually do value? Mm. So the first thing to do is sit down and make a list of what you think matters to you. Mm. And then track your spending for a month and then compare the two. Compare what you think matters versus how you're actually spending your money. And the reason that I say write it down is because if all you do is take a retroactive look at how you're spending your money, you might lie to yourself and tell yourself like, well, yeah, but that stuff is important to me. Mm-hmm. So if you write down what matters most to you first, then you it's, it's in writing. Yeah, I think like the idea is that people have different priorities. So... I feel like for me, when I was figuring that stuff out, one thing that I did was I printed out my bank statements and I went through them with different color highlighters to show like what was what. If you know what your goals are, if you have a compelling why, Mm -hmm. you're a lot more likely to be careful with your money, to watch where it's going, to to figure out like, hey, can I just trim – $5 here, $10 there. And if you do a little bit of that every single day, all of a sudden, cool, now it's an extra 50 bucks a week. That's an extra $200 a month. That's $2,400 a year, Mm -hmm. right? But the energy, the attention, the focus to do that often comes from being motivated to do something. I mean, even myself in my own journey, like when I had this goal of traveling, Mm -hmm. I was really careful with my money Mm -hmm. versus once I came back and I didn't have an imminent travel goal on the horizon anymore, I was a lot more lax about it. And Mm -hmm. I I let a lot more slip through the cracks. So having a compelling why, no matter what it is, is a a, like anchor. Do you recommend once someone figures out what their why is, creating different little accounts, separating out like, okay, this is for this, this is for this. Mm -hmm. I used to have a whole extra fund that was just for dental work. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, definitely. And so the reason that I do recommend that is because – It's so easy to mentally compartmentalize 
you know, like this is the $20 a week that I'm setting aside for dental work. Mm -hmm. This is the $50 a week that I'm setting aside for veterinary bills, Mm -hmm. right? And if you don't compartmentalize that and and if you can't see it, if it's all just commingled into one gigantic account, one day you wake up and you look at the account and you're like, I got $8,500. $8,500. I'm going to <laughs> Vegas. So Yeah, for sure. I have Now my money is in so many different accounts. It's like kind of crazy. But it's actually good because I feel like I'm not – this is new for me having all these accounts. Then if one is sort of low, I'm not freaking out because there's mm-hmm. other ones. Right. Which I don't know if I recommend that, but that's just like what's been going on for me lately. Mm-hmm. How can someone parse out like short-term and long-term goals? And like what are some short-term and what are some long-term goals? So in terms of short term, one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is um, people oftentimes are good at budgeting for regular bills. So your, your rent, your utilities your groceries, the things that you have to pay for on a regular routine recurring basis. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are, you know, they think about that, but people often don't think about either things that happen seasonally, like holiday travel, birthdays, even the fact that your utility bills are going to be different in the summer versus the winter. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of people don't think about that and don't plan ahead of time for that. So that's one thing, like those seasonal variations or those annual or biannual recurring things. And then the other thing in terms of short term are expenses that you know they will happen, you just don't know when. So Mm -hmm. your car breaks down Mm -hmm. or if you're a renter and you need to move, like there's all sorts of moving expenses. And so those expenses, the ones that like you know they're going to come up, you don't know when, but you know they will. Those are the two categories of short-term budgeting. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes what I tell people to do is if you can sit down and make a list of the stuff that you know it's going to happen and you just don't know when, the surprise things that tend to come up in a, in a normal human being's day-to-day life, mm-hmm. plus the seasonal stuff, add up what that's going to be over the span of a year or two years, average that out, and whatever amount that is, like that's an additional amount that you need to save every month. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or break that down per paycheck. You know, if you get paid every week or every two weeks, like break it down further so that you know how much to remove from each paycheck and put it into a specific savings account, ideally ideally one that lets you name it so mm. that you can put a given name on that account. Interesting. Yeah, I think also with short-term stuff, I would beat myself up because I would have to use it. Let's say I was like, oh, I have now I have $800 in my savings. I'm doing so good. Look at me. My whole life is turning around. And then, like you said, this is what actually happened. My Prius stopped in the middle of the street. And I was like, well... And I was beating myself up. And I remember my therapist, I was like, all the $800 is gone to fix the the Prius. And my therapist was like, well, isn't it lucky that you had it? And Mm. I was like, no, but I lost it. And she was like, right, but you had it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And I think that's something that people beat themselves up about. Like, oh, I had to drain this little savings account that I had really worked hard to put together because – you know, my tooth, I I cracked a tooth or something. And it's like, yeah, but isn't it lucky that you had that? And you can always just start over. Right. I often think of it as present you is taking care of future you. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there was once a time when like the present you of that time was like, I know I'm going to need $800. I don't know why. But for some reason, I'm going to need it. (laughs) And then eventually, future you had a Prius that like just stopped in the middle of the street. Mm -hmm. 
you know, that future you was taken care of by that past version of you. So in terms of long-term goals, what are some that people may not think of? I know retirement's a long-term goal. I think some people it's like, you know, having kids or things like that. So how do you approach longer-term goals? So in terms of longer-term goals, I mean, first, some examples of what longer-term goals might be. A wedding, if that's something that you want. If you want kids and you, you know, there's a chance that you might have to pay for adoption fees or you might need fertility treatment. I know that's, it's like scary to think about, but like mm-hmm. those are like some of the biggest bills that you might ever pay in your life oh, yeah. if you choose to do that. If buying a house is a goal for you, which, which it doesn't have to be. But, you know, for some people it is. So making a down payment on a a property could be a goal. Starting a business could be an example of a a long-term goal. What I call a mini retirement, which is taking a few months off. Like you're not retiring forever, but you might take three months off or six months Mm. off or maybe like a year off. You don't want to be retired forever, but you want a year without Mm -hmm. working. I think that sounds really appealing to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So those are some examples of what long-term goals could be. What is FIRE and then what is your breakdown of FIRE? So FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And so I'll, I'll explain two things. I'll explain sort of traditionally how most people see it and then the, how I see it. Right. Yeah, you have your own version. Exactly, exactly. So how most people see it. So financial independence is what people talk about when they talk about having enough money in your investment accounts that – You could draw down from your investment accounts and use that to pay for your cost of living. And so a lot of people use this very crude metric where they say, hey, if I have 25 times my annual spending saved, invested, then Mm -hmm. I'm fire. And so what that means is if you spend $40,000 a year to maintain your lifestyle, if like that's what you spend in a year, then 40 times 25 is 1 million. So if you have $1 million in investments then you're FIRE under that definition. So that's the FI part of FIRE. And then the RE, retire early, is a lot of people are like, well, geez, if I have a million dollars and I only need 40 grand a year to like live, I'm quitting my job, you know? But they have a million dollars in investments. That's what's key. Okay, okay. And so the RE, the retire early, refers to the traditional definition of FIRE, which is that people then say, once my investments hit amount X, this certain threshold, then I'm going to quit my job and then I you know, may or may not have any income because I don't need it because I can just live off of my portfolio okay. or live off of my investments. So that's the traditional definition of FIRE. I don't like that for a few reasons. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are a couple of things going on with it. First of all, Your expenses are going to change every single year of your life, sometimes higher, sometimes lower. Like, and that's not just, you know, a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, you mean you like, you're going to want nicer things. I mean, maybe, but also your health costs are going Mm -hmm. to change. The size of your family is going to change. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll find a partner or you'll lose a partner. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll have a child or maybe your child will turn 18 and move out. Maybe you'll have a knee replacement, something, Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe you don't have any pets right now, but 10 years from now, you're going to have five dogs, right? So I wish. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, and so your expenses are not static. They're not fixed. And yet the traditional definition of fire kind of pretends that they are and doesn't really account for the fact that your costs are going to change. The cost of living is going to change quite a lot. Oh, and we haven't even talked about the fact that like prices in the outside world change. Right. Gas prices and yeah, all of it. And so that's one of the flaws, in my opinion, with the traditional definition of fire. The One of the other flaws is associating the FI with the RE. Like the FI refers to having enough money to support yourself conceptually. Mm-hmm. And the RE refers to one of many possible options that you could pursue once you have enough money to support yourself through your investments. Right. Like retiring is an option, but it's not the only option. Right. And so it doesn't really make sense to me that the two concepts would become conflated with each other in the same acronym. Why not just focus on the FI part and focus on having enough money through your investments that you could potentially support yourself or at least support a basic bare bones level of existence. Maybe not the ideal lifestyle that you want, but that you could keep the lights on, keep food in the fridge, keep yourself alive if you needed to. Like if for some reason you couldn't work and you had to live on your investments. If if you live in the United States, like we live in a country that doesn't really have much of a social safety net. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Newsflash. And so FI... The way that I see it, FI is building a safety net for yourself, not so that you necessarily are living an amazing life, Mm -hmm. but so that if your brother calls you tomorrow and says, hey, I just got really bad news from the doctor. I've got six months left. Oh, God. If that happens, you want to be able to drop everything and fly to wherever your brother is and spend every minute with him for the next six months. Mm -hmm. And that means quitting your job, you know? Right, right, right. And you want to make sure that if if that has to happen, and I hope it doesn't, but if it does, that you already have so much to deal with. You already have so much to think about. Money shouldn't be a problem. Like it and I don't mean that you're going to restaurants or you're buying nice clothes. I don't mean any of the fancy stuff. (laughs) But just that you can survive. Yes. So in terms of goals, like, and setting yourself up, what is passive income and what are some ways to achieve it? I know investing, but like investing and how in investing and then how in other ways. So in order to define passive income, let's first compare it against active income. So if you say, hey, I make X amount per hour or I get a salary of Y amount per year, what you're doing in both of those statements is you're framing money in the context of time. Like, Mm -hmm. this is how much you make per hour. This is how much you make per year. And so whenever you're trading time for money, that's an example of active income. You're trading an hour or a week or a month or a year of your life for a fixed amount of money. By contrast, when you break the link between time and money, that is passive income. So for example, if you buy a stock or an index fund and that stock or that index fund pays a dividend, then you make that dividend. You don't have to put your time into it. You get paid that dividend despite the fact that you didn't put any hours into that. Right. Other than like you front-loaded that workload to buy it, to to acquire the asset. But after you bought it, after you um, acquired it, you you did basically very little, Mm -hmm. but you're still getting paid. And so that's an example of passive income. Same thing with if you have a rental property, there's a lot of work up front 
to choose the right property and to set everything up well and to interview if you've got, you know, interview property managers and make sure that everything's in really good working shape and that you're providing a really great experience for whoever it is who lives there, that you're providing excellent customer service through the property manager who is handling it, Mm -hmm. right? And so doing all of that work up front to set it up and do it right, there's a ton of work there. You're front-loading that workload. But once you've done that, then, you know, the months pass and the checks start coming in, even though you haven't put in extra hours on it. So that's another example of passive income. The thing I want to be really clear about though, is that passive income is not a euphemism for free money. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's not like you are working for it. You're just front loading the workload and then you're getting paid on the back end. What are people not taking advantage of that they should, that you've seen a lot in your audience or in your line of work in terms of stuff that would help them out with long-term goals? There is a very, very cool type of investment account called a Roth IRA. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing for a variety of reasons. And if you're in a position where you can put something in, just start with $5 a week and build from there. The Roth IRA is a great, great option for many people, maybe even Mm -hmm. most people. And a lot of people aren't taking advantage of it. What do you think about like a high-yield savings account? So I think high-yield savings accounts are great, but there are three cautions that I would give. First, I think it's more important to have multiple accounts that are earmarked for specific purposes than it is to have like everything consolidated into one big high-yield savings account. Now, if it's possible for you to do both, like if you can find a high-yield savings account or or a series of them that also lets you have different accounts that are earmarked for particular purposes – Cool. Awesome. Have your cake and eat it too. Caution number two, and I did this when I was in my early 20s, it can be really tempting to like play the savings game and hop around between different banks because you're like, ooh, this one's giving me a higher interest rate. No, now this one is. No, Mm -hmm. now this one is. And it becomes a distraction. Like rather than spending my time like doing literally anything else with productive value. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it just becomes like a giant distraction and then it becomes the psychological feeling of like the win rather than, you know, if you actually sit down and do the math, great, like you've made an extra $3 this month. Mm -hmm. So I would not get too caught up in like playing the account hopping game. And the third is... It's like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Don't keep either too little or too much money in cash savings. If you don't have enough money in savings, then then you don't have enough money in savings. That's Mm -hmm. a problem. But if you have too much there, then you're missing out on investment gains. So you want to find that balance that's just right. That makes sense. Yeah, it's the the nerve-wracking part of like, I want to put my money in all of these sort of diversified investment situations, but I'm also terrified. And so I'm like, Mm -hmm. let me put it in a savings account where I'm like, well, you're going to make a little bit of money, but you're like living in fear. I'm I'm just, I've had this show for eight seasons. I'm like just starting to be a risk taker, like just (laughs) a little bit of risk. What is one small thing someone could do? while they're listening to this or while they're or like right after if they're like okay I I need to like get into my my long-term goals I would say then the first thing is what we talked about at the beginning of the show first sit down and write what your values are like what do you think is important 
once you've written down your values, write down your goals and a time frame and a dollar amount, and then divide it all out to see how much you would need to save per month. And if you're anything like me, the the final tally of how much you would need to save per, per month is like 10 times more than what you make, you know? <laughs> so like, yeah. so, then, so then you take a look at it and you're like, all right, I'm going to have to dial this back. Yeah. And then you dial it back in a couple of different ways. Either there are certain goals that you eliminate, and that goes back to you can afford anything but not everything. Right. Or there are timelines that you increase, like maybe you want to travel in three years instead of two years. Or there are dollar amounts that you decrease, like maybe for the travel that you want to do, you'll do a less expensive trip. Mm-hmm. Or for the car that you want to buy, you'll buy a less expensive car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where can people find you and and more about you and your podcast? So my podcast is called Afford Anything. And if you go to the same same podcast player that you're using to listen to this show, you'll find me there. Just search for Afford Anything and hit follow. Our second guest is Francesca Ramsey. I had to have her on to dispense her goal-setting wisdom to my listeners because I sure as hell can't do it myself and I sure as hell needed this advice. (laughs) My name is Francesca Ramsey. Some people on the internet know me as Cheska Lee. So, okay, you are an incredibly organized person. And this episode (laughs) is about setting goals. So the reason I asked you to be on is because you have these journals that you make that you post Mm -hmm. on Instagram. So can you explain and walk me through the journals? Sure. I've been doing habit tracking for about two years now. And the whole thinking behind it is that I pick five or six habits that I want to try and keep during the month. And then I make a little grid that has uh, every day of the month represented numerically uh, next to each goal or habit. And then as I accomplish them, I mark them off. So the impetus was during the pandemic, really feeling a lack of structure in my life. And that is something I really thrive on. I have anxiety and um, creating habits and routines is really good for me. And so my therapist was like, why don't you, you know, a CMS habit tracking thing. You should look into it. I really, really like it. I, and I like the process of like drawing it. That part is really therapeutic for me. And it feels really good to look at it you know, day by day, but then at the end of the month and see like, wow, I accomplished a lot of things, even if every day I didn't necessarily feel like I was, you know, as on task as I'd like to be. So what are some of the goals listed? So I've really been trying to make sure that I shape my habits slash goals every month based on how I did. So if I'm like really striking out in one area, then I just say, okay, let me try this and change this and do something different. So right now I have working out, writing, auditions slash meetings, and meal prep. I'm trying to not eat out as much, so I'm trying to cook more. So that's my my last one. So the journal's kind of like, it's got this beautiful artistic drawing of like the name of the month that you do. Mm -hmm. And then it's got all the days and all the goals. And then you highlight in different colors when you've done it on that day. Yes. Yeah, you don't have to do different colors if you don't want to. I just personally like the look of trying to just pick a different color for each habit. And then it's like this beautiful rainbow scape of colors. 
it's great. I like really look forward to it. I leave my journal out on my desk and at the end of the night I go and I like mark off my little areas and I'm like, mm-hmm, I did it 10,000 steps. Or I think, oh man, I didn't do it today. Tomorrow I'm really going to hit it. And then I will take my dog on an extra long walk. Why are you like this? <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's what's really funny is I have not always been like this. I was, I've journaled since I was in like third grade. Okay. And it was an assignment for school. Mm-hmm. And I just really liked it and I just kept doing it. When I feel really anxious or and I'm I'm struggling, I can often link it to the fact that I have stopped journaling or I haven't been as consistent with it. There's just something about the process of unloading my thoughts. And I do a lot of artwork, so I like to just kind of zone out and just doodle. And I'm sure you can empathize with this. Like as a professionally creative person, it's really nice to have an output that is not linked to a paycheck mm-hmm. or I don't get notes. <laughs> like I don't have deadlines. Like it's just for me and I really need that. In terms of being really organized, I think it was a few things like going to therapy and really talking through how my anxiety was presenting itself. Like procrastination was one of the biggest ways mm-hmm. that my anxiety would present itself. I would get so overwhelmed. And I was also, I'm way better about this now, but I used to overcommit myself all the time. Mm -hmm. And then I would just get super overwhelmed. Like I was just setting myself up for failure because you can't be all the places at once. Mm -hmm. And I would also overpromise. You know, Mm -hmm. someone would say, when can you get this done? And I'd be like, oh yeah, tomorrow. I can get it done tomorrow. And then I'd be like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Why did I say that? I can't get this done tomorrow. Like, what am I doing? And through going to therapy, my therapist was just like, you have to figure out a better way. We have to figure out a better way for you to manage this. Mm -hmm. And so being really intentional about like everything is on my calendar. Even if I'm going to catch up on the phone with a friend or grab coffee, or like whatever it is. That has really, really helped me. I also have alerts in my calendar that say things like, you're doing the best you can. I'm a very visual person, so and mm-hmm. I spend so much time on the computer that mm-hmm. I need more tactile things in my life. Like, um, like I miss having a board in the writer's room. I just felt like that was always right. really helpful for me. So I was like, well, I'll just do it at home. So that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone wanted to, let's say someone's like not, doesn't have any of this in place and they're like, what's the first thing I do to get organized? Like, how do I start? I mean, I think really looking, like taking a step back and looking at the areas in your life where you are lacking structure or you you want structure, right? And for me, like my Google Cal was largely a result of the fact that I was missing meetings, I was missing auditions, or I was missing deadlines on self-tapes or things like that. And so mm-hmm. I was like, I have to get this under control. So really deciding like, what is the best way that's going to help you stay on track? Maybe it's a calendar app on your phone or setting alerts or, you know, a big dry erase board. Also doing research. There are so many apps like productivity apps and things like that. That's how I found that habit tracker. I found it on Pinterest. So Mm -hmm. if there's an area in your life where you feel like I want to get more organized, I guarantee you somebody out there has already figured out a hack that is working for them. Also doing future journaling where I like pick a date five years in the future and I just write about my day as if 
you know, like, what did I do? I just came home from the writer's room on a show I'm producing. And then I did that. Like, I, Oh, my God. Write a journal as if it's yeah, the future. five years in the future and you're writing mm-hmm. it. <gasps> and here's like the here's the thing that's wild about it, Gabby, is that she had me do this. And I went back and I looked at one of my journals from when I was like going through my divorce and I was having a really hard time. And so it was like now three or almost three years ago. And I was future journaling uh, per her recommendation and everything that I said in my future journal, I'm doing. And, and, and it was like mundane stuff. It wasn't even like, like I didn't have flex and I was like, I will have a dog and like, he will be my best friend. <laughs> like, oh my God. I, mean, I knew I wanted, a do- I knew I wanted to get a dog, but like I hadn't really gotten serious about it yet. And, um, you know, I've had multiple things in development. I'll be selling shows. Like, it just was really... Oh, my God. I, there's something... I, man, California has made woo. me so woo. But I, I really believe there's something yeah. powerful about committing the things that you want to work towards on paper. Something about just like... No, I would 100% agree. And I don't want to call it manifesting. But like, <laughs> to me, in my life, if you behave as if you deserve those things, then largely they have, they come to you. And it's because to me, I think people are attracted to that energy. So you don't have to say it. You don't have to say it out loud or anything, but like people want to work with someone who they can feel that vibe off of. And again, if you're (laughs) listening to this in like, you know, I don't know, the Midwest, and you're like, what a bunch of California a-holes. Like, I I get it. I'm a new California a-hole, and I can't even believe, I can't (laughs) believe that I am this person. I like like your framing of being deserving, because I think we talk down to ourselves so much, and just really kind of shifting the narrative to say, why shouldn't it be me? Why shouldn't I have these things? Yeah. I think that's really powerful. Yeah. So, okay. So how do you set goals, let's say, differently for personal career and also like stuff that you need to do in order to like stay financially afloat? I mean, I think the biggest mental shift for me when it comes to setting goals for myself is to set goals that are within my own control. And that really Mm -hmm. came out of a few things, but you know, I wrote a book uh, in 2018 and I was so focused on the New York Times bestseller list. I was just like, I must make the list. Mm-hmm. This is something Which is I a ha- sham, by the way. Which is a sham, but like... I mean, it's until I, I get... If once I'm on it again, it's not a sham, but right... But right oh my God, it's, 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 I, listen, I, I always see these conservative pundits that are like the failing New York Times and then two days later, they're like, my book's on the New York Times bestseller list. It's like, okay, cool. Which, which <laughs> one is it? But... I was really focused on it. You know, it's not fully my fault. Like my editor was really about it and and everyone was just like, you're going to make it. It's going to be amazing. And, you know, there was a New York Times profile of me and all these things. And then, you know, the list came out and I wasn't on it. And I was devastated. Mm -hmm. I just, I was so upset about it. And I was just like, I'm a failure. I just was like really beating myself up. And I mean, it's just like you wrote a book. Like I did something that most people say they want to do and they don't do. Exactly. You know, and I had like a fantastic book tour. Like I had all of these great experiences through the process of writing a book. 
that suddenly I decided were invalid because I did not make the list that has nothing to do with like your talent or even your sales. Like I sold more books than people that were on the list. Like it's a curated list, right? It's a curated list. That's what people People don't don't understand. understand. And so I can't control the New York Times bestseller list. I could write the best book of Mm -hmm. all time and still not make that list. It doesn't mean that the book's not good Mm -hmm. or that I shouldn't be proud of myself or whatever else. And reframing and saying, Mm -hmm. well, what are the things that I can control so that no matter what the outcome is, I can still feel proud. So, okay, I didn't you know, make the New York Times bestseller list. I did a 10 city book tour and I signed every single book there. You know, when I was doing Decoded, you know, you post a video and it doesn't go viral or, you know, the comments are mad or whatever it is. Like that does not mean that the whole project is a failure or you're not good enough or whatever it is. And so I'm trying to set career goals that are more about um, expanding my talent right? Like making sure that I hit my deadlines for my script. I want my script to be on time. Might not be the best script ever, but that's just going to be on time. I can control that. I have more experience now writing screenplays. I have more experience now doing so. Everything that I do, I try to be like, now Mm -hmm. I have more experience. Like obviously, you know, I finished my second screenplay ever and I'm like, well, now it shall be a movie. (laughs) Maybe. You got, you know what, you know what happened? Maybe, but you know what happened? You got you you wrote your second one, which is how you learn how to write your third one. That's going to open doors for you. You don't know who you're going to meet because of that screenplay. Yeah. Or you know, my boss saw that I really cared. Yeah. And like maybe when it comes time for like you know raise a raise chat, I can be like, look how much I really care about the company. Whatever it is, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, and and that is possible to do with even negative interactions, right? Like you have a boss that you really hate and you can say, you know what, I'm going to learn from all the things that that boss did so that when I'm in charge, I don't treat my employees that way. So if people feel really overwhelmed by like bigger goals, do you recommend like breaking them down or how do you, in what ways can you do that? Absolutely. I mean, again, I don't think there's anything wrong with dreaming Mm -hmm. big. But, you know, if your goal is to win an Oscar someday, it's like if you don't win an Oscar, but doesn't mean you're a failure, you also can't win an Oscar tomorrow, right? But like if you want to be in contention for an Oscar, right, then you probably need to be in a movie. Like you can literally work backwards and you can say, well, in order to get nominated for an Oscar, I need to be in a movie. Well, in order to be in a movie, I need to know how to act. Well, in order to know how to act, I need to take an acting class. Cool. I can take an acting class, right? And it's like, I am not getting the Oscar today. I'm working towards the thing that will maybe set me up for an Oscar. Mm -hmm. P.S. Lots of talented people. Don't get Oscars. Don't have Oscars, right? Like people make livings off Lifetime movies. Guess what? They not want no Emmys or Oscars. Those are the unsung heroes. (laughs) Listen, their lights stay on. I mean, I'm really trying to get myself to a place where I'm like, well, what's the phrase? It's like, uh, perfect is the enemy of good. Where you, you know, you beat yourself up and you're like, I have to be the best. And there's nothing wrong with working as hard as Mm -hmm. possible, but everybody can't be the best. There has to be somebody who is the quote unquote best and then people in the middle who are just okay and then people who are not great at it because it's not the right thing for them. And maybe instead of beating yourself up because you're not the best, take a step back and say like, is this really the right thing for me? Maybe not. Or 
I'm okay with just like being okay. Yeah. It's for me and, and, and not for anybody else. And so, you know, again, if it's the win the Oscar or New York Times bestseller list or whatever, those giant goals that you can't immediately control right now, Mm -hmm. working backwards and kind of like really breaking down all of the elements that are going to lay the foundation to get there might be an easier way for you to not feel as overwhelmed Mm -hmm. because you're not hitting that, that big goal. Right. And I also think that that's a great way to hopefully shift your perspective and along the way, you might realize, I don't want to win an Oscar. I actually like producing. I actually yeah. like producing. Or like, you know, I, I met the costume designer on a short film, and now I think mm-hmm. I want to do that. Like, being open to the possibilities of your dreams and your goals changing. Without being like, I'm a failure. Oh, my gosh. No. But the, no, absolutely not. And, 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 and even just like shifting your idea of what quote unquote failure looks like. I always think people think, oh, well, it's too late. Like people go, it's too late to start. It's too late to restart. I don't think so. No, I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I think that has been, you know, the, the pandemic has been challenging for people for all different sorts of reasons. But I think one thing that I have been really encouraged by is how many people are taking ownership of their lives right now. Mm-hmm. And they're saying like, I don't love the city that I live in, right? Mm-hmm. Or I miss being close to my parents mm-hmm. or this job doesn't pay me enough. Yes, I don't think that there is a time limit to say there was one chapter in my life where I wanted to do this and now I'm in a different chapter in my life mm-hmm. and I want to do something else. And it doesn't mean that you um, did not have you know, vision or drive at that time, maybe the thing that you end up doing didn't exist. Yeah. I just think like being intentional about like long-term and short-term money goals too. And mm-hmm. just like, I mean, look, we can't all be Francesca. <laughs> what What is your star sign, by the way? I'm a Sag, but I'm a, right, you a told me Scorpio that. rising and a Libra moon. This is wild. Why? Because by all accounts of astrology, you should be the most disorganized person in the world. Yeah. Well, what does that tell you about the woo? What does that tell you? What does that tell you about the woo-woo over here? <laughs> <laughs> Where can people find you and more about you? You can find me all over social media at Cheska Lee. Except on TikTok. Somebody already is Cheska Lee on, te- on TikTok. So I'm Francesca Lee on TikTok. Francesca brought up a super important point. Goals are best set when they are something you can control. Many of my personal goals, have a TV show go to series, get my movie made, publish my new novel. Some of this is partially in my control, sort of. But there are goals that are in my control. I can finish my novel. I don't have control over whether it gets published, but I can finesse it and put the finishing touches on it and finish it. So here are some goals. These are ones that I can control. I want to get more informed about investing. I want to know more of exactly what my IRA is invested in. I want to make the most of my credit card points and hotel points and actually use a travel credit card and be strategic and good at it. These are three goals that are within my reach. They are just about me educating myself. So those are my money goals. And rather than just saying, I want to make more money, which I do, that is out of my control. I need goals that are in my control. So what are your goals and how do you stick to them? Please email me at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com. You can also call at 844-474-4040. 
I really like this reframe. Let me know if it helps you at all. Okay, bye! Done.